Defeating the Enemy from the sermon series Beyond the Building, spoken by Pastor Sunita Hanton. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just going to name that it's very awkward now coming up to preach after that. It just seems really weird. Um, um, let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God our Father, we do thank you for our time together. God, we thank you for all that our eyes have seen, all that our ears have heard, all that we have experienced. God, all the prayers and praise that have been lifted. We thank you for the children that have been committed to you, God. And we thank you for the quacks and for their work in ministry around the world. Now, Lord, we pray that you would come and be with us during this preaching moment. We pr- I have prepared and prayed as best I know how, but Lord, you must preach. And I have studied all that I know how to, but God, you must send your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I have written words on paper, but I pray, God, that you would write these words on our hearts, that we might be encouraged for the work you have called us to do. And now, Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the melody of all of our hearts, the meditation of all of our hearts, be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, If you know my story, you know that I went to law school and seminary, and people often ask me which one was harder, law school or seminary. And without a doubt, I always say that it was seminary. And, And people are always like, what? How could that be? And the reason is because law school was mostly an intellectual journey. Um, And there were certainly times where I felt ill-equipped and unprepared to be there, but I had learned by that time how to be a hard worker, so I was able to get through it. But seminary was different. Seminary was not just intellectually challenging, but it was emotionally and spiritually difficult. I had heard people say that seminary ruins people. People begin to question their faith. They question their relationship with God. They question the Bible. And when their world is stretched beyond what they believe they can handle, some of them quit. And not just seminary, but the church and even God. It can be brutal. And you have to ask yourself, why is this the case? And it happened to me. Now, I wasn't on the verge of losing my faith, but I did begin to question all I had grown up knowing about God. All this happened while I was physically exhausted from late nights and early mornings of reading and writing. I was in a relationship that at its best was amazing and at its worst brought me to my knees in tears. Money was tight because I was back in grad school yet again. And my family was still not really on board with this whole ministry thing. And then I got to seminary and found out that there were people who believed that women shouldn't even be there. And I saw my peers drop out because they couldn't handle the pressure. And after praying and talking with classmates and even administrators, I came to the conclusion that I should be prepared for three years of war, three years of of opposition. Why? Because my classmates and I had answered God's call in our lives and the devil was not happy. And anything he could do to distract us or to intimidate us, he would do. And if he could not get us, and if he could get us to drop out or to question our faith to the point of turning away from God, to question our call and walk away from ministry or to develop sinful and unhealthy habits, if he could get us to do any of those things, he would win. And when I figured that out, it changed everything. 
This wasn't just school anymore. This was a battle. This was war. And I am convinced that whenever the people of God determine to do the work of God, we will face opposition. It has happened to me many times, and it happened to Nehemiah and the Jews. If you are continuing with us in the book of Nehemiah, you know that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to King Artaxerxes when he found out that the walls of Jerusalem were in ruins. With the walls down, Jerusalem was vulnerable to attacks by the enemy. Surrounding communities could come in and harm the residents or try to strip the city of its resources. So even though Nehemiah did not live in Jerusalem, he had a heart for the people there and sought the king's approval and support to go and help. Now, if you heard last week's sermon, you know that Pastor Kevin told us all about how the Jews came together and worked to rebuild the walls. People volunteered to help, and they built alongside one another. Families, individuals, priests, Levites, everyone came to work. But if you stopped in chapter 3, you would get the impression that everything was easy for the Jews once they began building. But as the Jews found out, and we will see today, just because you are doing the will of God doesn't mean that there won't be opposition. In fact, there will always be opposition when you are doing the will of God. Satan does not care about the lethargic or sometimey Christian. He doesn't care about the lukewarm church. He doesn't care about the insular ministries that do not seek transformation in the world. He's not going to waste his time with people who are innocuous. These people, these churches, these ministries are not a threat. They will only go so far because they're operating in their own power that can easily be defeated. The adversary comes against those who are an actual threat to his power in the world. He comes against those who pursue the will of God. He comes against those who choose to follow God and bring God's plan to fruition. So today I want to warn you, Metro, that when we embark on this mission, this God-ordained, God-sized mission of building a community center and ministry headquarters, opposition will come our way. And even in your personal lives, you know it, when you commit to really following Christ, when you turn your back on your old way of life, when you seek to give up old temptations, to walk in love and generosity, to be forgiving, to walk in humility, whenever you determine to follow God, the adversary will come for you. Opposition will come your way. As we read in Nehemiah chapter 4, we realize that opposition will come from everywhere, but chapter 4 gives us the tools to not only recognize the enemy, but also defeat him. Opposition comes from external forces. Let's look at Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. Sanballat asked a bunch of questions to taunt and discourage the Jews. Sanballat was a Babylonian name. And if you research it, it means 
sin has given life. His name means sin has given life. Through his words of opposition, Sanballat is giving life to the lies of the enemy, planting seeds of discouragement. He was the governor of Samaria and he was threatened by Nehemiah's presence because it would hurt his power in that, in that region. But rather than risk his influence and power, he comes against the Jews. But he never actually physically harms them. He just threatens to. He plants seeds of doubt and fear. He is engaging in what we might call psychological warfare. His weapons were ridicule, intimidation, and doubt. When we look back at verses two and three, he asks a bunch of questions. These feeble Jews, he says, how could these people possibly rebuild a wall? He's undermining them. Will they offer sacrifices? He challenges their trust in God. Will prayer and sacrifice be enough to rebuild the wall? Then he asks, can they bring the stones back to life from these heaps of ruins, rubble? He is planting seeds of hopelessness. Nothing can be done, it's beyond repair. Then Tobiah joins in, what they are building, even a fox climbing on it would break down their walls. He wants them to believe that the work they are doing is futile, that it won't make a difference. And it doesn't stop there. There are three different attempts to stop the workers in this chapter alone, verses one through six, verses seven through nine, and verses 10 through 23. In fact, Sambalot's plans to stop Nehemiah and the workers escalated when the original intimidation did not work and the Jews kept building. Look at verses six through eight. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. The people labored with all their heart and opposition came back. After they had built the wall to half its height, then Sambalot enlists members of the surrounding community to come against them. He and the Samaritans were at the north. And he brought the Ammonites from the east, the Arabians from the south, and Ashdod from the west. Opposition was coming from all around them. And anger will often be the response to Lord's work because God's work challenges worldviews and our norms. In a city or community where hopelessness has become the norm, God's work declares hope. Amen. In a ministry where stagnation has taken over, God's work declares movement. In a church that has become inwardly focused, God's work declares look up and look out. In a person bound by sin, greed, jealousy, pride, laziness, God's work declares freedom. The devil does not want God's work to prevail. But opposition means that we're making an impact. And as Christians, we are called to do the work of the Lord and never back down. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I am certain we will face opposition as we begin to build in Inglewood. We are seeking to bring together and serve a community that is so divided, demographically diverse, but socially and residentially segregated. 
Did you know that the population in Inglewood is 32.3% white, 29.1% black, and 23.4% Hispanic? Yet the population in the public schools is 97% black and Hispanic. Those with money who tend to be overwhelmingly white in Inglewood send their children to private schools. Inglewood isn't a united community, but the residents realize it and they have been asking for a community center. They've been asking to come together. And there is a church in Inglewood called Metro which is ethnically and socioeconomically diverse. People of all ages and backgrounds attend. They speak different languages, and yet they come here every Sunday and worship God. They're in ministry together, united together in the same spirit. Metro has something to bring to Inglewood, and it truly is beyond a building. You see, this is about transforming lives. This is about bringing God's kingdom here. And I'm going to tell you, the adversary does not want this. The enemy wants confusion and division. But unity and reconciliation are the works of God. So we will most certainly face opposition. There will be some who will not want a church to own a community center. They say that church and state should be separate. There are some who will say that the community center doesn't bring money into the city because they know that if a church owns a building, they can't uh, charge taxes. There's no tax. They'd rather have high rises and buildings and businesses. There are some who don't care about those who don't have access to quality and affordable programming to enhance their life. There are some who will say that Metro are a bunch of outsiders. There are some who have no desire to be in community with anyone other than people like them. Maybe they'll speak out against us at city council meetings. Maybe they start spreading lies about us. Who knows? But I'm sure we will face opposition. And in your own lives, I know that you will face opposition when you seek after God and the things of God. The Bible tells us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't believe me? Have you ever tried to share the gospel with someone and they respond, not just rudely, but belligerently, almost attacking you? That's the enemy opposing the witness of God. But we don't back down. In the face of opposition, we keep going. We have to be able to say that it doesn't matter what you think about us. We are doing the Lord's work. And if God be for us, who can be against us? But there's not only external opposition, there can be internal opposition. Look at verses 10 through 12. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there's so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, now they're quoting the enemy. Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. After a while, opposition comes from within. 
Though they had built up half the wall, they became weary, tired, and overwhelmed by all the work. Their strength was diminishing. The work seemed overwhelming. It was just too much rubble. They began to believe and repeat the enemy's threats and fear set in. The adversary had gotten to them, so much so that they didn't need outsiders anymore. They were repeating the lies themselves. They had mentally given in. And I imagine their opposition could just sit back and relax because they were no longer needed. The people doubted themselves. And we know what this feels like. Maybe your parent told you growing up that you were not good enough. And so now, even after you've moved out and you're on your own, years later, you still replay those words in your head. Someone along the line told you that you weren't beautiful and you replay that tape every morning when you look in the mirror. Someone told you you're so stupid or what's wrong with you? No one will ever want you. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So when people speak death over you, you have to speak life to yourself. I am good enough. I am beautiful. I am wanted. I am capable. Why? Because God said so in his word. That I am made in his image, that I am loved by God, and that he has equipped me with the gifts for the purpose for which he has called me. And internal opposition will come as we continue in this campaign. There are some who are already tired. You've been working so hard already and you're just tired. And there's a temptation to give up. Don't do it. The work you are doing is for the Lord. And there will be others. Of course, some of you have very legitimate questions and concerns, but there are some who are looking for reasons not to support this campaign maybe out of their own fears or greed or pride or power. There will be some who think the church is greedy, always asking for money. There will be some who are fearful and who will try to spread their doubts to others. There will be some who will be naysayers and will speak against Metro and this campaign. Please don't become one of these people. And please don't surround yourselves with them. Refer these people to the pastors or to the campaign leaders. We want to hear your questions. We want to hear your thoughts. We want you to disagree with us. Come challenge us, but please don't badmouth us. Metro is trying desperately to make this process as transparent as possible. Attend the vision event next week where you can ask questions and get more information. Be open to what God is doing in this season. And pray, pray for the church and pray that God will open your heart to whatever he's trying to do. But know that opposition will come. But rather than be afraid of it, if we are wise, we will understand that opposition increases our faith. It increases our faith because it requires us to become dependent on God. We realize that when the enemy attacks, we need God. So as Christians, in the face of opposition, we cannot back down. We don't run from the devil, we defeat him. We declare that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So how do we do this? How do we defeat the enemy when we are doing God's will? The first thing we must do when we face opposition is to pray. 
first we must pray. The first thing Nehemiah did was pray. And even throughout the process, he continues to pray. Look at verses four and five, and then verse nine. Verses four and five. Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then verse nine. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Our first and greatest weapon against the enemy is always prayer. Prayer is not our last resort, it is our first weapon. Prayer reminds us that God is sovereign, that he is still in control, and through prayer we acknowledge our trust in him. We submit our will to his will, and we gather strength and peace. But Nehemiah's first prayer in verses four and five is not quite the prayer that we're used to seeing. Nehemiah prayed for God to act because he had no doubt that the rebuilding effort was God's plan. Any opposition to him and his people fulfilling God's plan was ultimately opposition to God. I don't think we operate much this way anymore. But do you understand that if you are working within God's will and someone opposes you, they're not just opposing you, they are opposing God. And if you're in God's will, don't be ashamed to claim it. Don't be ashamed to acknowledge it. Nehemiah prays the same way we see in some of the Psalms. They're called imprecatory Psalms. It's not the kind of prayer that we're used to. But what he says, what he understands is that God's holiness prevails. And God's judgment proceeds from God's holiness. God should, be, should judge the injustice in the world because God is a just God. God should judge those who are opposed to him because he is a sovereign God. He is in control. Nehemiah is asking God to judge and frustrate the plans of those who would hinder God's work from being done. That's a bold prayer. Pray, Metro. Pray. Pray that God's will would be done. Pray that any opposed to God's plan would be held back from succeeding. Prayer for the, pray for their heart to change, but also pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray that the enemy would be defeated. Hopefully, if you're following along with the 40 days of fasting and prayer, you'll realize that today the prayer is that the Lord would frustrate any plans of the enemy against us. That is the word of God. That we go back to his word that says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. That we would be protected from the evil one. And I hope that after these 40 days are over, you continue to pray for our church. Continue to pray for the leadership. Continue to pray that the devil would never prevail against Metro. That dissension would never tear us apart. That we may disagree, but we will be united in heart, in mind, in love and service to our Lord. And in your own lives, pray. When the enemy comes against you, pray. When you lift up God, the enemy must flee. The psalmist reminds us, let God arise and our enemies be scattered. Before you call your friend, pray. Before you tell your spouse, pray. 
Before you even come to a pastor, pray. And it's not because we don't want to pray for you. I always want to pray for you. But you have to pray for yourself. You have to learn the discipline that you have the power and the boldness to go before God and pray. Pray for yourselves. The second thing we do when the enemy comes against us is to be prepared. We must prepare. Prayer and preparation combine faith with action. Now, prayer doesn't diminish our responsibility, but it prompts us to act. We pray because we know that only God can do it. But we prepare for the work that he's called us to do. Verse 9 tells us, but we pray to our God and posted a guard night and day to meet the threat. We pray and we prepare. Half of the chapter of Nehemiah 4 is about rebuilding even in the face of opposition and the preparation that took place. Look at verses 13 and then verses 16 through 18. Verse 13. Therefore I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And verses 16 through 18. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon with the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Nehemiah created a plan that would allow the people to continue working, but also prepared them should the enemy come and attack. His plan included constant preparedness, being on guard at all times. The plan included equipping his people for opposition. And the way they were prepared was through carrying weapons. Nehemiah told the Israelites to pick up weapons, spears, shields, bows, armor. Those carrying materials carried a weapon in one hand. And those building who needed both hands carried a spear at their sides. So should any nation come against them, they could easily stop work and fight. And we must be prepared to fight the enemy when he comes against us as well. But I'm not advocating going out and buying spears and shields. The weapons we use now are not physical, they're spiritual. This is why one of our greatest weapons is prayer. Our enemy is not the person standing next to us. Our enemy is the spirit of darkness using that person to oppose God's plan. The real enemy is not the person who harassed you, the person that harmed you, or a system that denies health coverage or offers a different quality of education to different kids. They are not the real enemy. It's the prince of darkness that makes us greedy and corrupts our minds. It makes us selfish and uncaring. It makes us manipulative and prideful. And we can't fight this battle with human resources. And so our preparedness does not look like spears and shields, bows and metal armor. We put on the armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17 reminds us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For we struggle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shields of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. God's word teaches us God's plan. It gives us wisdom. It makes us bold. And as we start living out the word of God, our faith increases and we are better able to withstand the enemy. Just as Jesus was able to defeat the devil in the wilderness through the word of God, our preparation for defeat must include knowing and studying the word of God. If you read ahead to chapter 8 in Nehemiah, you will see Ezra read the scriptures to the people because it helped sustain them. And if you don't have a Bible reading plan, may I suggest the YouVersion Bible app. You can choose a reading plan that works for you. We don't need physical spears anymore. The word of God is our sword. But my preparation not only included weapons, it also included working together for those who had the greatest need. Look at verses 19 through 20. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and, the, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Nehemiah realized that the people were scattered all across the wall, some building right in front of their own homes, some building larger plots, some coming in from out of town to help. Everyone was spread apart. But if they should hear the trumpet sound, they would know that they were under attack and they should stop what they were doing and run and assist. Though working on different sections, they could fight together where the need was greatest. And isn't that the way it should be? If my sister is in trouble, I run over to support her and to help her. If my brother falls on hard times, we as a church should rally around him to hold him up. If you lose your job, if your marriage is suffering, if you're struggling in your singleness, if you're trying to stay sober, if your child has special needs, if you're an overwhelmed mom or a lonely empty nester, whatever it is, the church, us, we are your church family. And when we hear the cry, we should go run to help. When there is a community in need and people are suffering, that's where we go. We go where the trumpet is sounding and we fight with them and we fight for them because we are interconnected. And if you strike one of us, you strike us all. The plan of attack against the enemy is to show him that we are stronger than we look. We fight with one another in community. 
So to, to defeat the adversary, first we pray. Then we prepare. Next, we proclaim. We proclaim the Lord. The best way to overcome fear and opposition is to proclaim the Lord. It is an act of faith. We are reaching out for divine help. Look at verse 14. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Then again in verse 20, Nehemiah proclaims that God will fight for us. In the face of opposition and when the Jews had become discouraged, Nehemiah continues to proclaim the Lord. He reminds them of who God is. He reminds them that God is great and God is awesome. The plot of the enemy is destroyed when we acknowledge who God is. When we lift up God instead of our problem or our situation, we make God great. That declaration, that proclamation of God's greatness frustrates the enemy and it encourages us as the people. We can keep going. The people of Jerusalem could keep going because they knew they weren't just building a wall. They were doing God's work. And their God is great. And their God is awesome. And as Nia proclaimed, their God will fight for them and bring them success. As we build, you, as you continue to seek and follow God, opposition will come, but we must be people at all times who will proclaim that God is great and that God is awesome and that he will fight for us. Get into this habit of proclaiming God. Proclaim that God is good because he is. Proclaim that God is sovereign because he is. Proclaim that God is almighty because he is. Proclaim that his steadfast love endures forever because it does. Proclaim the Lord in the face of your opposition. And finally, persevere in the work. In the face of opposition, persevere in the work. Just because opposition has come, it does not mean you can stop working. Not at all. The Jews did not get sidetracked by the enemy. They kept building the wall. Look at verse 15 and then verse 21. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. And then verse 21. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn to the stars came out. Despite the opposition and despite the threat of attack, they continued the work. Sometimes we can be thrown off when opposition comes and it causes us to quit. We're unprepared. Too many of us believe that when you are following God's will, there, there won't be any backlash. And, and some of us have fed into this lie that when you become a Christian, everything is easy. And you never have any problems ever again. So when we do face opposition, we throw up our hands, we declare that this must not be God's will, and we quit. That is the worst thing you can do. If God has called you to a ministry, if God has set you on a path to become more like him in how you live your life, the worst thing you can do is to give up. 
Because when you give up, the enemy has won. You have done exactly what he wanted you to do. If the Jews had stopped working because of threats from the enemy, the wall would not have been built. And did you notice that they didn't even respond? The people did not even waste time responding to their opposition. They just kept working. We must be people of perseverance, even in the face of opposition. We are to continue the work on the course that God has set us on. We continue to persevere even in the face of fear because courage is not the absence of fear. It is the determination that there is something more important than fear. Change is moving forward even in the face of fear lingering. And the scriptures are clear that if God has began a good work in you, he will see it to completion. The only thing that can stop it is if we give up. But we have to persevere in the work of the Lord because just as we are sure that there is opposition, we can be certain that there will be victory. Jesus reminds us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus already won the war when he died on the cross and rose again. He goes before us, always giving us the victory. And when we join with God and God's work, we not only get to be, on, be in on the winning team, we get to be on God's transformative work in the world, his kingdom building work in the world. Now you all know that I graduated from seminary and I graduated well, magna cum laude, that had never happened before. Yes, but it didn't, I didn't make it through seminary because I was so brilliant, or even because I was so resilient on my own. I made it through because every week, my friends and I went to the prayer room at the, at the divinity school and we prayed. I can't even tell you how many tears were shed in that room. And we stayed prepared because this wasn't just my praying team, this was my studying team. So before every exam, I would take the syllabus and divide it up among everyone. And we would get together and study for hours and each person would take turns teaching the rest of the group the material from the class. And we would read each other's papers and edit them and we discussed sermons, we shared outlines and class notes and we worshiped together because we were determined to proclaim the Lord. We would sing and encourage each other, we studied together and it wasn't uncommon for us to stop in the middle of study and just say praise God for what he is doing in our lives, how he was stretching us when we questioned our own abilities or our calling or what God was doing, we encouraged each other. We proclaimed the Lord to one another and we kept going. We persevered. We never let anyone go. We never let anyone slip. We came in together and we were determined that we would each walk the stage together. The devil would not thwart God's plan for us. And we have kept it up ever since. 
We know that God has called each one of us into, into ministry and that opposition will come, but we are determined to not give up. We're going to keep going because God will be glorified. Metro, we have an opportunity to glorify God in this city in a way that has never happened before. What a witness to God. To wrap your arms around a city and show God's love, to set an example of what it looks like to live and to love with all different kinds of people across ethnicities, socioeconomic status, genders, ages, educational backgrounds. What Metro has here, the city of Inglewood needs to see and experience. Yes, there will be opposition, but don't worry. We are praying now and we will continue to pray for God's guidance and so that the enemy will be defeated. We will be prepared, planning each step of the way, remaining transparent and working together. We will continue to proclaim the Lord whether at Greco, at a new building, whether we're on the street corner, we will never stop proclaiming that God is good. And we will persevere. Hardships won't stop us. Setbacks won't stop us. They will only make our collective testimony that much greater because we serve a great God. We serve an awesome God. And God has said in his word, and I believe it to be true, that he will fight our battles. So we don't go into this alone. Opposition may come, but we are never alone. And God will be faithful to his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us pray.